Hey guys, welcome back. Um, we are happy to be back with you. This is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your friendship with, wait, no, deepen your faith. Um, <laughs> Brandon, but what do we really call it? We love to call it the show that helps you grow. Are you so excited every time that you get to say that? Is it I'm just so like, I look forward you know, to you get butterflies in your stomach? Yep. You're like, oh, it's coming, it's coming. <laughs> Um, we are, are back for another conversation in our series talking about the race in the gospel series. And um, last time we had Durham Graham, which was an awesome interview that we got to have. But today we have a very special Saddleback guest who is going to be joining. He's somebody who we wanted to have on for a while. And uh, I'm so excited that we got to have that conversation today. So Brandon, tell us who is our interview today. Yeah, so today we have Anthony Miller. So Anthony is the communications pastor at Saddleback, has, I believe, been in that role for eight or nine years now. He actually hired me at Saddleback, so got a lot of love for Anthony. Um, but he's also an elder at Saddleback. He's been an elder for, I think, as of two months ago, I believe. Maybe a yeah. month ago. Um, maybe, yeah, around two months ago. So again, he's got tons of wisdom, um, a really great perspective to share, and he's a great voice in this conversation and somebody that we should absolutely be listening to. So yeah, we just had the conversation with Anthony um, before we recorded this intro. And I will say it was an excellent conversation. Uh, it really was, was. Yeah, he had so much great stuff to say. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for you all to get to hear that right now. So let's do just that. Let's kick it to our interview. Anthony, thank you for being here with us. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. Okay, so we have literally had you on our list of guests that we've wanted to have on the show for a very, very long time, but in the back of our minds, we were always like, you know, Anthony is going to be an elder soon. We can sense it. And so we'll just wait so that we can make sure we're his first like podcast interview after being made an elder of Saddleback Church. Very, so, very strategic of you. Very, you very know, strategic. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you for joining us. We're really excited Absolutely. to be having this conversation. Honored, honored to be here and be a part of this. I think you guys just hit like 175 episodes. So Man, this is this is cool what you guys are doing. I love it. Yeah, it's it, 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 every time we see those numbers go up, it, it it just continues to almost like shock and amaze us. But we're just so grateful for the opportunity and thankful that God has continued to bless the show, and we're just really excited, especially um, with these conversations that we're having, to be able to have this sort of platform to have these conversations. And so it's been. Um, it's just been a super cool time to be able to do that. And so, Anthony, we wanted to get started uh, basically by doing a little cheek swab, sending it out to the DNA lab, getting the results back, and you telling us a little bit of your 23andMe. Give us a glimpse just into, into who Anthony is. What would that test tell us about who you are? Well, that's funny because I actually did it. And I found out that I'm 13 different ethnicities. There we go. So, oh my know, gosh! If you want to, if you want to, you know, answer for that question, I'm a mutt, man. The, the classic, 
the classic uh, definition of that. No, my my uh, my father's black. Uh, my mother's white. Uh, my father is from Southside Chicago. My mother is from the uh, backwoods of Central Illinois. I mean, she literally rode horses to school. Nice. So, uh, you know, th- this wow. And you know that I don't have time to tell you the story how they met, but it's the most fascinating story how they met. And 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 just to think, I mean, they're one of the the first interracial relationships in Illinois. Uh, this is like they had me in the '80s, my sister in, in you know uh, 1978. So they, they this is like early on, man. Like we, we think of this this you know these these laws like as this ancient thing. Thirteen years before I was born, uh, loving versus uh, it was a loving versus Virginia was 1907. Yeah. Right, that uh, made it illegal. Uh, the anti-misogynation law is illegal, right? And so we, it's it's weird to think that I was born still in a very sensitive time to to interracial relationships, and I was kind of born in this middle ground. You know, I, I love you know, people talking about doing the work of you know building bridges to you know different ethnicities. I was born on the bridge. I literally was born on the bridge. Like I had, I experienced racism from both sides of the fence. Like I, my, you know, my, my, I had black family members that would call my mother uh, names and call us names. And I had white family members that would call us, you know, the N word. And, and like, so I just, I, I experienced racism from both sides. And, um, but it was a very inter- interesting perspective that I had because it really forced me to see both perspectives. Mm. Right. Um, you know, I have uh, family members uh, that are uh, officers. I have white family members that are officers. I have black family members that are officers. My aunt is the first uh, uh, sergeant uh, in Peoria, Illinois. You know, so like black, uh, black female sergeant in, in Peoria, Illinois. So I have state troopers on, on my white side. So I've been kind of forced to see both perspective. That's why I. You know, it's. I feel like I have a unique perspective to to offer here in these conversations. So, uh, man, I I am uh, I'm definitely in that uh, the, the the what's the word mulatto. <laughs> I'm all I'm the mixed bag, brother. I totally just picture you standing in the middle, holding hands on two sides, singing "Why Can't We Be Friends." <laughs> I wish I could sing that good. Yeah, I know Jason's sneaky. He's a good singer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like to sneak that's, it into the podcast every now and then. Yeah, that's that's actually funny. You said mulatto. So my mom is also, I think they, it's called mixed race now. Yeah. Um, but it's funny. My, on my mom's birth certificate, it just says mulatto. Does um, it really? Yeah, it does. And I remember oh. being a kid and having no idea what, what that but, meant. Hey, um, you think it's a made-up What word? is a mulatto? <laughs> it's not a made-up word. It's, it was an actual term. Um, and did you have a, an experience, right? So you, your dad is from Southside Chicago. Your mom is from the country um, out in the woods of Illinois, central Illinois. Did you have an experience uh, where you became aware of, oh, I, I am something as far as in terms of race and that that means something? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we all have, I can remember for myself understanding, okay, I'm black. I live, I'm from a black family and what we look like it means something to other people. It means something. There's a really big world out here that I'm not really, I don't know much about yet, but I know that 
there's things going on. Did you have any experiences like that as a kid? Did you know pretty early on, I'm black and I'm white? What does this mean? You know, it's funny. It's a great question because uh, it's funny how society places you in the bucket and you don't put yourself in the bucket, right? So mm-hmm. I, I really early on knew I was something different and didn't know what that meant. Now, because I looked black, I was automatically placed in the black community and I was accepted by the black community. You know, even though I was accepted in the black community, they kind of looked at me a little bit different. You know what I'm saying? Like you're that, like I I, I was different, brother. I got to be honest. Like I was rocking, you know, the black version of a mullet, man. Like I had the, (laughs) the, the fro in the front and the party in the back, man. It was this weird you know michael jackson meets ac slater kind of hairdo right slater okay that's what i can picture okay there we go yeah yeah so so as a kid like i i didn't really quite fit in but because i looked black i was all automatically kind of placed in the black box right and i remember with my black friends i i was like too white for my black friends and too black for my white friends but yet I, I felt connected to my black community because that's, you know, it's just the way it is. Right. And so um, I knew pretty early on, like I was different, though. Uh, I think it started with just family members saying certain things. I remember my my grandma uh, treating us a little bit different at Christmas. I remember like everyone else would get like toys and trucks and things like that. And we got socks for Christmas. You know, and I remember that and having those conversations with my mom, my mom trying to explain. But pretty early race was a conversation in our in our household because my mom grew up in, a, again, a very racist household. And she, she she told me stories about what her mother used to teach her and how um, her first experience even seeing a black person, she was 12. And her mom used wow. to teach her that. If you touch a black person, the skin, their their color will rub off on you. So don't touch them. So when she first met a black little girl at the age of 12, she actually went up and said, can I touch your skin? And she touched and she found out her mom wasn't telling the truth. So that was kind of her breakthrough of, okay, there is something being taught to me that is wrong. So pretty early on, my mother taught me the the difference that I, I have and that I'm going to be looked at differently. So yeah, it, it 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 and it happened at school too. I used to like I said, I had that little afro thing going on. I was called Afro Man in grade school. I, I was made fun of. And so I just knew I was a little bit different, but then it didn't it took me a little bit to kind of accept that. Um and and see it as a benefit, not a you know, a detriment. Yeah. What was your community like growing up? Like, you know, were you living in the city? Were you out further away from the city in Illinois? What was it like for you in the community, for school system, question. all of that? So my father, like I said, he grew up in Southside Chicago, like in, in Southside. And we know the stories of Southside Chicago. So he made a commitment that he didn't want to raise his family there. So he moved us out to, to this little town called Normal, Illinois. Yes, I am a normal guy. Normal. <laughs> normal. Normal, Illinois. Uh, that's where I grew up. And um, and it was a predominantly white neighborhood, white community. Um, and I was like one of three black kids in my class, right? And so uh, 
but then it was weird because my dad was also a church plant. Our, our church was in Chicago. So every weekend from a, for, the, for the first seven years of my life, we'd commute to Chicago every weekend. All my family was in Chicago. So we'd be in Chicago all the time around our black family and black community. But then I would go to school in my white community. Interesting. Yeah. For like the first, you know, you know, seven, 10 years of my life. And then my dad ended up planning a church, um, down in, in, in normal, Bloomington normal, which is twin cities right in the middle of Illinois. And, um, it, that, yeah, that was kind of this, I don't know. It was this weird, uh, binary. It was like a, both worlds, but like very segregated, very separate. Yeah. So I, in, in your PK, and I'm a PK. Yeah. PK. Man. So your dad's a church planner. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. That's really interesting. What was it like as you got a little bit older into your adolescent years, young adult years? You're still in Chicago at this point, right? Or in Illinois at this point? Yeah. Yeah. I was in Illinois all the way through uh, my first two years of college, ended up playing uh, football at Western Illinois University, and then decided to move out here to uh, California um, to finish up school. And it, honestly, I think, I think I didn't really, I mean, I understood racism. I mean, our, my high school is notorious for racism. And we had guys coming to school wearing Confederate flags, waving them at us, calling us the N word. And we had fights all the time. We had police officers, undercover police officers planted in our school to kind of protect against these little race riots that that would jump off almost every, every year. That one year we we had this big giant fight that broke out um, during, in the cafeteria and it ruined the cafeteria. There was chairs and plates and and tables being thrown. It ruined the cafeteria. They shut it down for months, and um, and, and so we did. We had this tension. In fact, uh, I just saw this article the other day that my high school uh, uh, the FBI is involved because of some hate crime going on right now, like this year, in my high school. So the, yeah, there was a wow. there's a lot of tension uh, in it, like in where I grew up between black and white, and it wasn't I I mean I I knew that it exists I was in it, you know I was the recipient of it I, I've been called an N word so many times I've been um, pulled over regularly and har- harassed by police regularly, and and um, and then kind of I was saying is I I because I have family members on both sides. I was forced to see both sides. So my experience, uh, because I had some of the, the most amazing people in my life were white police officers. These are my family members. Because I knew them, I knew that not all police were evil. Like, I, that's just because I have family, right? But I would say for the majority of my friends, and this is like, this is not a bragging statement. This shows the grace of God statement. Everybody I grew up with in high school is currently in prison, been to prison and got out or dead. Every single wow. one of my friends. And, and there was this oppressive oppression happening in my, in my town that ju- it felt like my, my friends just like, and I was included again. I think it was just the grace of God that he had a plan and purpose for my life that it allowed me to, to escape it and then look back and be like, wow, how did I escape that? Right. Um, yeah. That it just, it felt like it was uh, built uh, against the black man specifically. Right. Like 
they, I mean, at a young age, they were just being arrested one at a time. And I was doing the same thing they were doing, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy, but it just felt like they were just being attacked and picked off. And, and by God's grace, he allowed me to leave and, and look back and be like, wow, man, he, he was protecting me that whole time uh, and it allowed me to kind of see the system that I, I came out of and how destructive it was for the black community specifically. I think that's something that's so um, important about times like the time that we're in, because I know that there's a lot of people like speaking of myself specifically, like I grew up most of my life here in South Orange County. I've been here since I was like four or whatever. So I've been here for a long time. Right. And now I have known, I have talked with people and I've heard stories and, and heard experiences from people who have, um, grown up and spent a lot of their time in places like you were just sharing about Anthony. But I think there's probably a lot of people who just don't, don't understand or, or, or are naive to the fact that that does happen and that there are places, like you said, where every one of your friends that you were in high school with has been to prison or is in prison or is dead. And unfortunately that's not an uncommon thing to hear about specific communities i've heard that before and but it's yeah, I mean, not the, the statistics show that what one in three uh black men uh, have the chance of being arrested i mean it's like it's absurd well, i've read 76 percent of the prison population is african-american but african-americans make up 13 percent of the total population in the u.s yeah. so it's just staggering statistics it, it, that are com- it, completely out of out of whack and yeah. even if you go even drill down further, you look at the population that gets pulled over, mm-hmm. right? It's like proportion. It's like that. It's like 60 some percent are African-American that's getting pulled over. So, you know, there's systemic racism, you know, there's um, at least prejudice, right? Bias, unconscious bias happening. And, 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 and again, I didn't understand it until I was, I truly, I knew it existed. I knew it, but I didn't. I didn't understand the intentionality or the uh, the maybe the um, the the systemic part of it until I, I was able to get out of it and see it from a different point mm-hmm. of view. And to your point, Jason, when I moved out here to California back in two thousand one, um, it was different. I was like, okay, the, the it, it, there isn't that kind of overt bias and prejudice and, and racism here. But it does exist. Oh, yeah. And it exists and it looks different. You know, back there, it's bigotry and hate. Here, it's, you know, ignorance and apathy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly it. Because, like, I can remember my childhood and I can remember in my elementary school, I don't remember there being any black students at the elementary school I went to growing up. I remember having one or two black friends in junior high, but then even in high school, right? Like I did theater all through high school, but, uh, and there were no black people in theater program right there. So like it just in the little bubbles of the communities that I was a part of, it just, it just, it, it just kind of was like, it's either all white or you get some uh, different people, but it's just kind of the way it was. So it's been interesting in growing up and thinking about my experience in growing up in South Orange County. It's, it's not, it was, it's, it was almost, just a naivete is what I said before it because right. it's just I, I had it didn't have these type of conversations but then you start having these conversations and learning more and being exposed more you know 
going to college and meeting more people and all that stuff. And you start really, truly kind of listening and learning, which are the phrases that we've been using kind of on the show a little bit. And it's, it's, and you understand that, that this is a real thing. Are the things that you have heard about that you're like, oh, I haven't seen that. It's just because it does. It's not that it doesn't exist. It just looks a little different where you are. And then you start to understand and listen to other people's experiences. And you say, okay, so this, this is a thing. And that's why I'm so, I've been so grateful. And I think it's just been so amazing to see in this time, in all all, uh, the conversations, not just that we've had on the show, but that we've had in staff meetings or that you start to see in the national conversation. And it's just, I think it's it's opening a lot more eyes and bringing this um, opportunity for people to say, okay, help me understand you better. Help me understand your experience better. And that's really yep. how we've been taking these conversations that we've been having um, with with all the guests in this series is from this place of help us to understand your experience and how you have grown from it in a part of it and, and things that we can do to continue to grow as individuals, as Christians, as, as the body of Christ and whatnot. So I, last week when we had Derwin on, we talked a lot about what the Bible says about reconciliation and, and whatnot. But what I'd like to ask you about, Anthony, is basically – why is reconciliation is so important, especially from a personal level, also from a disciple level? But why, why is reconciliation? It's been the theme of our conversation, and it's, 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 it's a theme of the Bible. <laughs> but I dig into just a little bit, in your words, kind of why reconciliation is so important. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I want to hit on something you just said, though. Yeah, uh, sure. Because proximity breeds empathy. Mm-hmm. Oh, proximity breeds 100%. empathy. 100%. So this is why the church community, specifically the multi-ethnic church, is so important because we're doing life together. And when we do life together, we're sharing meals together, we're talking, we're bonded by this commonality called Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is what com- brings us together in community. Then you're able to see and, and, and understand and have compassion for the other, who Dr. King calls the other, mm-hmm. right? So th- this is why this is so important. So to dovetail into your question is, is, is why, you know, racial reconciliation is, is, is so important. Uh, if, uh, speaking to the believer, as a Christ follower, we have to start with the place of theological urgency, we have to have a theological urgency around this matter. We have to understand there are eternal consequences for looking injustice and racism squarely in the eyes and doing nothing about it. We have to understand that. And if we have a, an issue with that, we, with, with, with uh, racism and injustice, and, and it, it, it's a relational issue. It's a relational issue, not, not as a relational issue with others. It's a relational issue with God. If you have a, a problem with, with injustice and racism and, and you have a, you have a problem with God, like that, cause he built us this way. He, he designed us this way. He designed us to have and experience diversity and unity. I mean, look at the Trinity. That's the perfect example of diversity in unity in oneness. That was that, that that's Christ's prayer for us. 
right? And we a lot of people understand the Lord's prayer as you know, our Father, you know, which are in heaven. That's not the Lord's prayer. That's the prayer He was teaching us to to pray. He was showing us how to pray. His prayer is actually found in John seventeen, where He talks about God. Let them be one, the way we, you and I, are one. That's good. His prayer it was for oneness, yeah. right? So we have to start there as believers. We have to find, this is why this term, you know, you're hearing uh, thrown around now, anti-racism. It, it, it's not good enough to only be not racist as a, as a Christian, as a believer. We have to become anti-racist, which means to speak out against racism, because we know that's against God's creation, that's against God's design. Mm-hmm. You cannot have, uh, you can have r- racial reconciliation without the gospel, but you cannot have the gospel without racial reconciliation. As you mentioned, Dr. Derwin Gray, he, last week or last episode, he was talking through the, the, that racial reconciliation at the heart of the gospel. We don't need to get, go into that. If you haven't heard that, listen to it. That brother is cold. He's amazing. Uh, he breaks it down. So I don't need to spend time on that at all. But the point I'm trying to make is you cannot have the gospel without racial reconciliation. And as a believer, you have to address racism, uh, racial uh, uh, reconciliation as a believer. That's our responsibility, right? Um, We know this is what, 2 Corinthians, was it 517? 5, I think, yeah. That God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciliation. Yeah. So there's a vertical reconciliation happening here that we are reconciled to God. But then once we're reconciled to God, now he is saying, now go reconcile the world to, to, to you, to each other. Mm-hmm. So that we're all connected. So again, we have to have a, a sense of urgency as believers that we don't have the luxury. Like when the tragedies of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and, and just name them all. Like when those things happened, I don't have the luxury as a black man and as a Christian to respond the way I want to respond. <laughs> right? I have to respond the way Christ calls me and expects me to respond. And and anger was my response, but there's a righteous anger. There's an anger that drives me to build bridges and seek reconciliation, not burn buildings. And and, and 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 seek revenge. So it, it really comes down to as a Christian, you have you have to start there. Like you have to understand that it, it, it's part of God's plan for humanity. You are a part of God's plan for humanity. When God reconciled you to Himself, He's now giving you the ministry of reconciliation, and that does not give you the luxury to sit on the bench and say, "That's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem." That's. That's really good. Um, what you just said, the, 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 the anger, the righteous anger, the righteous indignation. I think one of the telltale signs that we can say, okay, this is from God. This is born of the spirit when it forces us towards, it pushes us towards reconciliation. Um, and I, I think I said a little bit on the podcast last week, but I think that is the uniqueness of the gospel. And for us as Christ followers, that we can pursue reconciliation and offer reconciliation where, where others can't. And, you know, I, I'm not condoning the destruction of property or violence. I can understand. I think it's Dr. King that has the quote. Um, 
the right or the voice. Writing is the language of the unheard. Yeah. yeah. Right. But and it's it comes from a deep frustration, a deep pain, a deep anger. But the righteous anger that you're talking about, the righteous indignation, leads us towards reconciliation and wholeness in Christ and not the destruction of things, but it's actually the building up of things. And I think that is a really important distinction and really beautiful that we as Christ followers can offer. Um, And I would say the other side of that is uh, to your point, what you're saying is we can so easily as Christians, uh, you know, especially those, and I'm going to talk to my white brothers and sisters right now. Um, you could easily opt out of the conversation and say, ooh, look at those people that are angry, burning buildings that are wrong. You could easily go there and kind of stay, uh, you know, in this, I can't believe them kind of approach versus, and which, is, it, which is really dismissing and diminishing their pain. It's not hearing their pain, right? We're, we're called to have compassion. And when, again, when you, uh, proximity breeds empathy. And when you're, when you're living and doing life with those that don't look like you, sound like you, dress like you, vote like you, then when you do a life with them, you understand, you hear the pain that's coming out. And those riots and, the, and those, those, uh, those rioters are screaming out their pain. This is, we're not talking about this happened yesterday. We're talking about generation after generation after generation. And, and again, I'm with you, Brandon. I'm not condoning violence. I'm not at all. But I do hear their pain. I can understand. I yeah. We need to at least hear and listen to the pain. Hearing that, and the question underneath that is, why? What would make someone act in that way? Why is someone so frustrated, so angry that they're doing that? And I think if we can get to that question underneath of it is why would someone do that why does someone feel that level of anger feel that level of frustration and i think that is where the work is in understanding what's behind all of that what is causing all of this um and i think that's a part of empathy like you're saying it's 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 the empathetic response to not that's not just that's bad right because i think we can all agree yeah that's bad but can I step into this, empathize, and, and ask the question, but why? And is there anything I can do that's, if there's anything that's causing this, how can I address that? And how can I address that as a Christ follower um, in the midst of all of this? And, and, and to go further into the work, the ministry of reconciliation, which we're called to, it's not just understanding the why and having empathy and compassion towards it. It's actually entering into the pain with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And bearing what Galatians six, bearing one another's burdens. And so and so fulfilling the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and with your all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You're entering yeah. into their pain with them. Isn't that what Jesus did when he came to this earth? He could have stayed right. in heaven. He could have, he could have he opted out of coming into this painful reality of, of dying on the cross. He could have. Unsubscribe he, from this email. <laughs> right. Exactly. Unsubscribe from this. They're crazy. Unsubscribed. They're, they're, they're bad. They're, they're hopeless, right? That's a lost cause down there. But instead, he enters into it with us and bears that burden and takes it upon himself. Yeah. So that's, again, if we're supposed to follow Christ then we need to enter into people's pain and bear one another's burdens. That's great. That's so good. So we've been, Anthony, we've been listening. We've been learning. Um, I think this series has been really helpful 
But for, again, for those of us who are listening, you're going, okay, I'm with you. I'm here. What do I do? Um, what now? Is there any tangible steps I can take? Because I think there are some of us are going, I I want to do something. I want to act. I feel it. The feeling's there, but I don't know necessarily what to do or where to go next. What are some things that that we could do? That's great, man. You know, I I think there's three things that everybody can do like right now. Yeah. the, The work, let me just say this. The, the work of reconciliation is a lifelong work. This thing is not going to just go away. And it's, it's, it's actually, um, people think, you know, th- this is a uh, super attractive, like, Ooh, racial reconciliation, sexy work. It actually is not. It's actually very long and tedious. And, 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 and sometimes it feels very unfruitful, um, mm-hmm. at times, but I think there's three simple things people can do right now. And I think at first, it, it, it starts with examining yourself. It really is having the heart and prayer of David, Psalms 26, 2, when he says, test me, Lord, try me, examine my heart and my mind. It's first, it's not starting from a place of empathy, it's starting from a place of examination. It's like, show me where I am falling short in understanding people that you created. Help me understand racism in my life. See, I think the beauty about being committed to the work of anti-racism is you don't have to be non-racist to be committed to the work of anti-racism. What mm. anti-racism is saying is I'm going to speak out and address racism when I see it, even when I see it in myself. So That's I crazy. think we all have to acknowledge that we all have the, the, uh, we all have the ability, the capacity to have prejudice and racism right. in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And we all have to realize that. And if we start from a place of examine me, show me God, test me, um, then I think that's the right posture that we start with. So I think that's the first one, examine yourself. Uh, I think the second one is educate yourself. Proverbs 3.13 says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Later on, I'm going to say it's in all getting, get understanding. So I think there's an education that we need to understand. We need to educate ourselves the history, the historical context of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Understand that 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 there, there's been two other uh, uh, movements and throughout the history of this nation that tried to reform and tried to, uh, uh, the re- what was called reconstruction. There's a reconstruction of the 1800s. That's where we get the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. There's a reconstruction of the 50s and 60s. That's where you get the civil rights laws. Uh, uh, now we're in a third movement where it's no longer uh, about the law. It's not reforming laws, it's about reforming hearts. That's why it's so important that this fight remains in the church because because laws can't change the heart of man, only Jesus can. So this this fight is for the church, it's not for government, it's not for uh, uh, outside organizations. This is the church's fight. And so we need to educate ourselves, the historical context, we need to educate ourselves on the theological context. What does the Bible say about race? Read Ephesians and read how many times it talks about race. <laughs> talk about unity. Talk, read it. It's clearly in the Bible. Like I said, it's the heart of the gospel. What is the um, uh, the, the 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 societal uh, cultural context of going on? So there's a lot of ways we can educate. I think there's plenty of documentaries, plenty of books. Uh, I think it's your job to ed- educate yourself. It's not just your job to go ask every person of color, like, hey, tell me your personal experience but it's your job to educate yourself, right? I will say the best education though is doing life 
with those that don't look like you. Mm-hmm. I think that is the best mm-hmm. education. Um, again, uh, proximity breeds empathy. I, I, I think it's something about doing life together. Um, that that is, there's no supplement for that. And again, that's why the church is so important because this is where we get to do life together. Um, and then, so first, examine yourself. Uh, second, educate yourself. And then three, I, I really think uh, it's express yourself. Express yourself. Um, I, I, there's something about speaking up right now that is so important because I think um, I love what this what you guys are doing. I love these conversations. Uh, I've been telling people that the, the the road to eradicating racism is going to be paved in conversations. This has to be a dialogue. There's there's too much history that has isolated ourselves. See, the thing of the enemy loves to use our ignorance and isolation as a way to protect us against our prejudice. He, mm. he protects our prejudice through ignorance and isolation. I was reading a quote the other day that prejudice is the emotional commitment to ignorance. Oh, wow. Say that again for the, for the cheap seats. Because the, the <laughs> prejudice is the emotional commitment to ignorance. There's something about when we um, allow ourselves to remain ignorant. Um, and and, and I, I guess what I'm, I, I guess the, the situation right now that if you're if you don't see racism, if you don't see uh, the, the systemic racism happening in this country, then you're choosing not to see it because it, it's pretty obvious, right? Um, and so when you are saying I'm gonna, I'm I'm going to commit to my own ignorance, I'm going to stay ignorant um, and, and, and childish in my understanding, then that's where your prejudice breeds. And so the, the antidote to ignorance and the antidote to isolation, again, is doing life with people and having conversations with people. And so when you speak up, you're, 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 what you're doing, you're, you're doing two things. You're speaking up and you're creating a safe place for those that are feeling the oppression of racism. You're, you're, you're showing, hey, I'm a safe place for you, right? And, I am, I'm, and the other thing you're doing is you're holding people accountable, your peers accountable. I think that's what's needed right now is that we need people, specifically white people, in the place of, of power and influence to hold their peers accountable. Um, and, and, and when you speak up and you speak up for the voiceless, I, I think that's, that's, that's our way, as, 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 again, as Christ followers, to, to do our part and, and, and seek justice and peace uh, and in the things that in, in the things that God is calling us to do. So, uh, yeah, examine yourself, uh, educate yourself, and I think express yourself. All right, I think those are three very simple things that we can do right now. That's awesome. I know you only have a, a couple more minutes. Uh, we we want to be mindful of your time, but um, I think yeah, I think those three things are are super important. We'll make sure to put those three in the show notes so that people have that reminder to go back and think through those three E's too. I think that's really important. Um, I wanted to touch super quickly on something you said back when you were talking about educate in, in the, in the idea of, of laws versus hearts kind of stuff. 
because I've been hearing so many people, I, I, I just listened to a podcast yesterday that was advocating, you know, it's more, it's, it's more important right now to be changing laws, not hearts. It's more important to be changing laws, not hearts and all this stuff. And, I, and in my mind, I'm, as, as I always think about it, I'm like, well, yeah, it's nice to change laws because laws helped protect people. Laws help to insulate, but it's more like putting almost a bandaid. It's not getting onto the root cause. The roots are still going to be there. So it's like you are, are pulling a weed, but you're not getting down to the root and pulling out the root. So it's, stuff is just going to keep popping up and growing back. And that's where I think everything that you were saying about the hearts is is the key the heart is the key in this conversation you are talking with other and exactly everything that you were saying Anthony was just perfect about conversations and empathy out of proximity and all this stuff is so important because laws can be changed and systems can be changed after hearts are changed too but if you start changing laws laws don't change hearts Mm-hmm. Hearts can change laws. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I just think I just think that's something important to keep in mind that don't depend on on a law to change. Instead, depend on on taking the onus upon yourself to have conversations in reaching out to other people in the spirit of reconciliation and change hearts with God. Yeah. yeah, what you're saying is spot on. I, I think, like I said, the, the movement led by Dr. King and a bunch of others in the 50s and 60s, uh, they understood at the time that the laws were so lopsided Yeah, that, that um, laws don't change hearts of men. The laws protect uh, against the immorality of men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so so that's that's why their 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 strategy at the time, which, again, they were targeting these laws that need to be changed. But at the same time, that movement was still birthed out of the church. I mean, Martin Luther King was a pastor, right? He was still, he was still preaching the gospel this whole time. So he never, he never, like I said, you you can, you can, you can do the work of reconciliation. There's a lot of great groups out there that's doing the work of racial reconciliation outside the gospel, but you can't do the gospel without the work of reconciliation. You just can't. So he, he was perfectly positioned to do the work and change laws, but he never stopped preaching the gospel. Um, but to your point, we cannot rely uh, on on laws. I would even go further and say laws is not changing laws is not the solution. It it does help. It protects against the immorality of of, of systemic racism and institutional racism. But I'm talking about individual race racism. I'm talking about individually what's going to change and reform this this where we're at right now. Is Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's the love of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be Christians that speak out. That's not afraid, um, not afraid to speak out and use their platform and, 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 and speak out against racism. Right. And, and speak out against injustice and speak for peacemaking and speak for bridge building. There's going to, you're going to lose something in that. You, you, you might lose your status. You might lose your some friends, some family members. I'm very aware. I've had people calling me for the last few, couple months, asking me to coach them through conversations that they're having with family members mm-hmm. at the dinner table, or 
pastor's calling me and saying, hey, I said this at church. Now my congregation is like coming at me and all they're doing is preaching the gospel and people don't like hearing it. So there is something to lose here. But I love 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says this, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Right, so we, we're, we're doing this work of reconciliation. We're doing this work of reforming hearts, not to please man, but to please God. Because that's, again, the theological urgency that we need to have as believers. This is the church's fight. This belongs in the church. We have to understand this is our moment to shine here. Yeah. This, this is our fight. Mm, absolutely. Well said, Ant. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Again, congratulations on being named an elder at Saddleback. That is an amazing achievement. Um, We're proud of you. We're thankful for you. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Anthony. Absolutely. Guys, and also a reminder, we will put, as Anthony talked about, examine, educate, express. We're going to put some uh, education resources and materials in the show notes that you have a place, uh, so you have a place to go and something grab onto. So we are thankful for you guys and we will see you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.